Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. This is our 32nd episode, and we have with us today someone who is in the trenches on an issue that I've recently written about in my guest column on talk business and politics, and that is the precarious finances of Arkansas hospitals. Now, as a state, we have been very fortunate to have been spared from the rash of hospital closures that have plagued rural states, and particularly our surrounding states, where 52 hospitals closed between 2010 and 2020. Over that same period, Arkansas has seen only one closure in Sevier County, but local leaders have committed to reopening a 15-bed facility later this year. A major contributor to Arkansas being spared from hospital closures was the state's decision to expand Medicaid coverage in an innovative way in 2014, using private insurance and the accompanying reimbursement rates that are typically higher than Medicaid rates. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that hospitals in Arkansas are sitting pretty by any means. An analysis by consulting firm Navigant in 2019 indicated that 18 Arkansas hospitals were nonetheless financially vulnerable and at high risk of closing. The pandemic has added pressure to hospital finances, even with the federal infusion of funds to sustain operations under the weight of severe cases of COVID, and limited hospital bed capacity at the height of the pandemic. So here to talk about the current pressure points for Arkansas hospitals is Troy Wells, who has been in various roles at Baptist Health since 2005 and the system's president and CEO since 2014. He grew up in Hot Springs, where he is renowned for his lead role as Curly in the musical Oklahoma, He is a graduate of the University of Arkansas, where he obtained a degree in microbiology, and the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, where he obtained a master's degree in health services administration. Troy, welcome to the show, and I look forward to your rendition of Surrey with a fringe on top. Sounds like you've been (laughs) speaking to my mother. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, you're a perfect curly, I'm going to tell you. It's the hair, right? Still, still. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to the more serious I'm stuff. I'm not going to sing today. Uh, okay, scary. okay. Well, I tried. I gave it a shot. Um, maybe I can. Maybe it'll be off, off mic, right? Right, right. Um, so I want to know what keeps you busy when you're not being what I call Troy of Baptist. Well, thank you for asking me that because I'm I'm happy that some people realize that there is a Troy that's not at Baptist, right? right? right. Um, I have two children, uh, one teenager and one preteen, so that they keep us, uh, my <laughs> wife and I, quite busy. Um, I spend a lot of time active in my church and um, have I have some. I'm very fortunate and blessed to have a lot of really close friends outside of work that uh, yeah. I, I'm, I get to spend time with on a regular basis. And, you know, I like to do things that a lot of Arkansas guys like to do. I love to duck hunt, love to be outdoors uh-huh. and spend time with my kids. We're in the middle of flag football season right now, oh, so gosh. that's fun. And um, a lot going on in life, <laughs> even beyond the walls of Baptist for Troy. Right. <laughs> Good. Good. So so I asked, and I, I, I would assume that this will stem from your, uh, your Troy outside of Baptist. Your theme song, I ask this of everybody, what is it? 
that's a difficult question, Craig. I I um I don't know that I have a theme song, but 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 I, I think about if I were a baseball player and you had your walk up song. Right. I always thought, how do those guys choose which song they're gonna well, walk see, up that, to? Well, see, that's how I first started phrasing this question yeah. and people are gonna people said What's the they're, they're not gonna know what a walk-up song is yeah but so, so if yeah. i think about it that way uh, you know i'm a kid that grew up in the 70s and 80s so i have yeah. a nostalgia for hair bands right and so right. it would probably be like a motley Crue song or some <laughs> you know maybe kickstart my heart there that sounds go. like walk up to the plate you know yeah. kickstart my heart Um, but I think more adult, you know, 50-year-old Troy is probably, um, I love the song uh, called Cool Change. It was a 70s song. Oh, yeah. By, it was the Little River Band, I yeah, think. Yeah. Uh, turns out they were Australian, I think. It's really odd. I don't even know. But it's an awesome song, yeah. and it kind of chills me out. And... Time for cool change. I know that it's time. Great. That's yeah. great. I, yeah. I I know the thing about, you know, walk up songs. My kid plays baseball all year round and they constantly change their walk up song. It's, just, <laughs> it's a fun thing for <laughs> yeah. them to do yeah, and they'll is. change it to something silly. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I can't wait till the till the time when I, I, I change it for him. And he doesn't know what's he doesn't coming. Know what's... Oh yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh so um so we can get to the more serious stuff now, I guess. All right, t- tell me a, a little bit just about the, the Baptist Health system. Sure. Baptist Health, we just celebrated our 100-year oh, wow. anniversary in 2021. Uh, we started with a single hospital in downtown Little Rock mm-hmm. that had a nursing program. So our nursing school that we have today goes okay. back that many years wow, as well. Yeah, we, we graduate um, quite a few nurses and other allied health professionals every year from our college. And that's a big part of our ministry. If you look at our mission statement, it talks about health education. And so that's a big part of what we mm-hmm. do. Uh, but our but our health system today is uh, 11 hospitals across the state of Arkansas. Most people know us, you know, particularly in central Arkansas, from our big hospital in Little right. Rock. It serves the entire state of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have campuses in North Little Rock and Fort Smith and Van Buren, Conway, Malvern, Arkadelphia, Heber Springs, Stuttgart, and I don't think big I, I don't think yeah big footprint. Those are just the hospitals, and then we have hundreds of clinics mm-hmm. spread out throughout the state. Therapy centers have a home home care agency. We see a thousand people a day in their homes. Really? And that number always, you know, every time I say it huh. and think about it, it, it's, it, it amazes me because we, we probably don't have a thousand people in all of our hospitals across the state right. today, but we'll see a thousand people in their homes. So has that expanded uh, over? It has. Time? Yeah. It's continued to expand. And then, you know, there's, there's fewer agencies out there today than there were probably 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Okay. Over 11,000 employees throughout the state. Um, um, you know, we're, we're rooted in, in Christian tradition, a faith-based mm-hmm. nonprofit, the largest Arkansas-held faith-based nonprofit, yeah. and um, a lot of history of the state. We really view the entire state of Arkansas as, you know, part of our mission and ministry, and um, that's who we are. Well, I, I know that my wife and I, and, and certainly my boys, frequent that Baptist urgent care clinic <laughs> yeah. there at Cantor. Yeah, I didn't mention those. Those for, have been doing really well the last few years. They've really taken off. I think we have 12 or 14 of those now. That, one, that one's been really convenient for us, I tell you. It's, um, it's rare that you know I run into somebody in Arkansas who hasn't had an experience somewhere mm-hmm. with Baptist Health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and in fact, my, uh, my aunt worked as a nurse at Baptist Health um, in Arkadelphia, I guess, when it was when it was Baptist. Yeah, it still is. Yeah, it came into the system in the 80s. Yeah, 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 she was there for a long time. Um, So 
I, I know you've had more than two decades in hospital administration, and I want to know what are the three biggest changes in that space that you've seen during that time? Well, it's probably been more than three, and I'll, I'll just maybe mention a few key themes or trends and changes along the way that I've that I've noticed. Um, I, you know, in the 90s when I got into this, um, the first hospital job I had, everything was still on paper. Mm-hmm. You know, we had paper, paper charts yeah. on the nursing floor. We used to go up and grab the binder, and it had the paper records in them, and today everything's electronic and digital. And, yeah. and so that's been a huge change, and it came at great expense uh, yeah. to the healthcare system across the country. Um, and, it, and it's not been without its challenges, you know, going from writing everything down with a pen and paper mm-hmm. to having to sit down and answer all these questions and check all these boxes and enter all this data right. and type. I mean, you had physicians that never typed a thing yeah. in their life. Now they got to type <laughs> notes into a computer. So it was a, that was a big transition for the healthcare system that's really only taken place uh, over the last maybe 10 to 15 years. Yeah. But it was a big deal, and, and it came with great expense. Now, the other change that may have been a result of that uh, is that we have much more um, useful data mm-hmm. about what we do today. You can extract and data from an yeah. electronic record that you would have to pour. Th- I mean, you'd never get large numbers of data sets from manually going through paper yeah. records. It's extremely difficult. I mean, people yeah. did it in research institutions for years, but but to have access to um, that kind of data to help learn, mm-hmm. learn how to get better, how to take better care of patients, to report outcomes and mm-hmm. track quality and do all the things we do today, it's tremendously different than it was when I first started. And part of that's because of the digital revolution everywhere, sure. but that certainly has had its impact on healthcare. And that, that, that goes for medical records, but also our business intelligence and the things we do mm-hmm. on the business side of healthcare that we have good data now that we, we never had before. And the recognition of additional business oversight from other entities, right? That's right. Yeah. Everybody wants your information. Once you have it, everybody wants it. You just love, right? Yeah. So the other thing I'd, I'd say, another big, big change has been just the, the, um, well, two two things I'd mention. Two other things I'd mention, and they're both somewhat related. But you know, clinical technology mm-hmm. has really changed dramatically. I mean, um, nobody had robots in the operating room when right. I first started in healthcare, and today we've got you know a dozen robots throughout our hospitals that are doing procedural things to people. Now, a physicians controlling the robot, right? But the robot is doing the procedure itself within the human body, uh-huh. which is pretty miraculous and different than than uh, two decades ago. And um, so that's been a big change, but that's just an example. There are many right. other examples of clinical technology that's dramatically different. And what that's done, it's, it's allowed for better patient outcomes, shorter lengths of stay for a lot mm-hmm. of the procedural things we used to have to open somebody up to do. And now it's a little pinhole that goes in and yep. does a procedure. And we have Moving all these cardiovascular techniques that are different today. Inpatient that to outpatient. Everything's lot. shifted. Yeah. A lot of inpatient to outpatient shift. And we can talk maybe about that later mm-hmm. as a challenge, sure. too. Um, but the clinical technology and advancement uh, has been pretty dramatic, along with the therapeutic um, interventional type stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the drug therapies and things right. available today that, that really weren't there readily available, you know, 25, 30 years ago. It's, it's amazing to think that all that's happened over the last 25, 30 years and to think what what does the next 25 to 30 years, I mean, you, you, it just Yeah, the acceleration and discovery curve is pretty steep now yeah. uh, compared to what it was back then. It's exciting. Then. Yeah, it really is. So I mentioned um, the financial pressure uh, on hospitals in the intro. First, um, I want to know, are there persistent issues that have really historically gone unaddressed that are contributing to the financial pressure that you're seeing? And then what is emerging that's that's making this issue more acute for you guys? Yeah, I just went through this conversation with my board of trustees a few weeks ago. Those hard we, conversations. Well, they are hard, but but it's, you know, part of my job, I think, is to always try and 
reveal the reality right. of what's happening and, and to keep showing that to people, our leaders and our team and mm -hmm. our board. And <clears throat> what has occurred is that over the past nine to 12 months, you know, we, we were consumed with COVID for a couple of years mm -hmm. in that crisis. And for the last six to nine months, probably is more accurate, we have um, now been dealing with the aftermath of that. Right. And we've been so focused on those current issues creating financial stress that we have not been talking as much lately about the long-term trends and challenges that we face, in not just in Arkansas, but across the country, but some are particularly acute here in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And and so I've, I've tried to step back and say, we've got these right now crises that we're dealing with, like the staffing and labor problems that yeah. we're experiencing, those long-term, that's going to become a long-term issue. Yeah. And we can talk about birth rates and population changes and shifts and all that too. Um, but but, but the, the, the current financial crisis in staffing is you can't find them. And when you do find them, you can't hardly afford them. And so mm -hmm. every hospital in Arkansas has been struggling with the con – you're talking about contract labor, these traveling mm -hmm. nurses, for example, which yeah. I always say, thank goodness we had them when we needed them back right. during COVID. It, it, was a, it really saved a lot of lives in Arkansas by bringing people in from out of state, for example, uh, to help supplement our staff and create bed capacity for really sick patients. Um, but nationwide, that staffing – thing has, has continued. And so you have this revolving door of travelers going from state to state, state to state. And people are now trying to figure out, how do I get out from under this? How do I get enough permanent staff to replace them where the labor cost isn't so high? You're not paying a third party a premium right. for that labor. So every hospital has been struggling with that. But that is a that's a hopefully a 2022, half of 2023 problem that we can get back somehow to normal levels. We're hiring like crazy, trying to replace those travelers with, with full-time staff. And that, when you look at our financials today, this year, and you you say, where's the biggest difference that are impacting our financials? It's contract labor. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the biggest number that's out of whack. Is that true for physicians, too? Not as much, I'm sure, but... Um, there, there's a different issue with the physician supply and demand uh, that is going... That, that gets to the longer-term okay. challenge. Okay. Yeah, it's not as acute. It's more something that we've been dealing it keeps getting worse but yeah. it's and i'll mention that in just okay. a second but that contract labor piece is is the big thing everybody's got the eye on they're they're saying when are we going to get back to a normal level that will fix our problems so i had to step back and say okay we've been focused on that we've got a plan we're executing that plan we're trying to get those numbers down mm -hmm. throughout the year we know it's going to hurt us in the short term but we'll get there all right everybody's okay with that let's back up and say if we fix that are we okay in arkansas and the conclusion i came to unfortunately is no yeah. We can fix these 2022 problems, these 2023 issues that we're talking about, and we're still not going to be okay. Yeah. And, and, and part of me hates saying that because it seems like, and there have been, there've been probably three occasions in my career, but they tend to bleed over a long period of time that, that are really difficult financially. Um, when I, my first hospital job outside of my residency uh, was in uh, 19, the beginning of 1999, and we just had the Balanced Budget Act in 97 come, and, oh, and yeah. those provisions were starting to happen now in 1999 and 2000. Yeah. Financially catastrophic. That was huge for hospitals, big time yeah. negative out of that. Figure that out over the next five, six, seven, eight years. And then we had the recession in mm -hmm. 08, 09. That created some really difficult challenges for hospitals for the next five years after that. You start getting into 14, 15. We expanded Medicaid. Things, oh, eh, maybe we're okay. Then you got COVID. We get through that. And now this. 
and, and, and this is the worst of all. This is the worst I've seen in my career in terms of the financial challenges that we're facing. When you, and, and a lot of it are not, a lot of those are not just healthcare. I mean, every industry is facing supply chain yeah. issues and double digit inflation supplies. But for, for, for healthcare, Labor is about sixty percent of our total cost. That's different than manufacturing, where it's it's your inputs that are yeah. maybe sixty percent. You got twenty, thirty percent labor, and and so that labor inflation is really pummeling hospitals and the healthcare industry in general right now. And so that's that's both a current crisis, but it's also long term with fewer people, population changes. Yeah. Aging population, Pipeline particularly here issues, in Arkansas, yeah. you've got fewer people going to universities and they're going, where are all the kids? And I'm saying, well, they're not being born. The last decade we've seen, this is now to, to the longer term issues, yeah. 2020 was the lowest birth rate in Arkansas in over mm-hmm. a decade. And that means we're going to have fewer people, fewer young people. And the, the, the difficult irony about that is it's going to be happening at a time when our population is getting older, sicker, needing more health care, and there's going to be fewer people to take care of them. Yeah. So what that means for us, we've got to learn how to innovate, do things differently, plan on the next few decades of fewer people to do more work. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a bleak picture, Troy. It's different. I mean, yeah, I think about this. This is what I think about every day, all day, and go to sleep thinking about it. How are we going to solve these challenges but but you know that's part of what we do we yeah. get up every day and trying to make progress that's interesting that it's i hadn't thought about it it's it's almost on a on a five-year plan right it, almost every five years you got something there's going to be a crisis wallops you right? yeah there's going to be a crisis you can just about <laughs> just as you get out of one the next one's the next one's coming at you but those are those shorter term if, if you think about the um you know more um, longer term challenges that have been going on that we haven't been thinking about the last six months because we're focused on this acute crisis we have yeah. now. Um, you know, you mentioned the physician challenge, and and um, that's tied, I think, to to the uh, reimbursement rates in Arkansas. So Arkansas is the lowest reimbursed commercial commercially reimbursed state in the in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're last or second to last in Medicare reimbursement rates. And that's due to a state that's got some funny things going on from a policy standpoint. I think it's Hawaii that has some weird deal that causes their rates to be low. But um, in any event, we have really low reimbursement. Recruiting doctors, it's a national game. Yeah. If you want to get doctors to come to the state of Arkansas, you've got to be able to compensate them the same way you would, they would be compensated anywhere else that has much better reimbursement. And so when the healthcare systems in our state have physician groups that are challenged in bringing new doc, you know, you have the doctors are aging too. It's not just, you know, everybody else. Physicians yeah. are aging too. And they have partners retire and then they go out to recruit and they say, we we can't, the, the guys coming out of school and gals coming out of school want more money than we make. We can't get them here. Huh. So then what happens? Well, they come to the hospital system and say, hey, we need help. And the hospitals are like, uh, yeah, we need we need more of you. So what do we got to do to help? And so this turns into a huge financial investment and commitment on mm-hmm. hospitals paying for professional services that historically we haven't had to pay for. Yeah. So Baptist Health, for example, we spend, um, this year we'll spend $180 million supporting physicians throughout the state. That's coming out of hospital money to pay for doctors that we all need, that we all want. that we all, and, and it's because we're trying to support the ones we have here and recruit to replace those that are retiring or leaving. 
Wow. And it's a, quite a big financial commitment from all the hospitals in Arkansas. And that doesn't mean every physician is employed or supported by a hospital. It just means that today a whole lot more of them are supported yeah. that way than they were in the past. And yeah. that's, a, that's a burden on hospital finances that is a long-term issue that only gets resolved if we make the economics such that physicians can do it on their own. Yeah. So you got these problems, right? Yeah. So how do you, as a CEO, right the ship both short-term and, and long-term and then are there policy solutions at the state or federal level? You mentioned a, a little bit about that. That could, that could help. The, yeah, the things we do related to the short-term issues is, is what I described. We have a plan to hire and hire and hire and orient faster and replace those expensive travelers with more of our permanent staff. And that's not just a financial issue. You really want stability. Yeah. You know, our clinicians and our patients need stability. And a connection to the community. Connection and yeah. culture and yeah. all those things. And, and again, I'm grateful for the travelers and the contract staff we've been able to bring into Baptist and across the state. It really has helped us during a difficult time. It's just not sustainable. Yeah. If it was sustainable, it'd be fine. It's just not. So, you know, we have a plan that we're tracking every day, every week, every month with our team to how to, what's next, how are we getting new people in, how fast can we orient them and replace those contracts. We even started a an in-house travel agency where if we had a permanent nurse with hmm. us that said, hey, I'm about to go travel, we say, well, wait a minute. If you're willing to travel, travel for us, and we don't have to pay the staffing company that premium. And if you're flexible, and I know that I can send you to Fort Smith this week and Conway next week and Little Rock the week after that, that's a travel gig. And that, that, that um, flexibility is actually valuable to us, and we need that. So if you're willing to do it, let's go. And so now we've okay. got like 80 – 80 people that are in our in-house travel uh, group right now. Um, and, and that has helped us both um, keep some people in the organization that were thinking about leaving to travel uh, and helped us reduce the, that financial burden from those uh, travel agencies. Hmm. So those are the kind of things you do short term. You know, we work hard every day on supply chain issues, yeah. working on supply costs, contracts, trying to reduce our input cost. Um, you know, I mentioned the the, the clinical technology and therapeutics, really expensive stuff. Um, um, so, so all those things you work on every single day, and you have to have a plan. You have to hold people accountable, and you have to work that plan. And so that's what we do in the short term and try to preserve capital because everybody's bleeding money right now. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to preserve capital, and you're managing that. From a policy or big-picture standpoint, you know, addressing those longer-term issues, I, th I think the biggest thing that, that would benefit the state of Arkansas, and I've said this before, um, and I always like to bring it up because I think it's so important, and yet it may be the most difficult thing that we could do would be to change the Medicare wage index. Mm -hmm. the, the, the formula for that is four decades old maybe. Um, it's really not very logical. Um, it, it has a very long lag in terms of the impact it has on, on hospitals. And, and um, so, the, so the Medicare wage index, for those listening, is, is, is the way that Medicare calculates how much they're going to pay for care in a particular state and is driven off wages. And so, um, you know, Arkansas, historically being a relatively poor state, we pay fewer wages, even in health care. And they say, congratulations, you're a low-cost provider. We're going to give you less money and give more to New York. That's how it works, I mean, yeah. effectively. And, um, and, and, I, and I've had conversations with, with past uh, officials with uh, CMS and DHHS, and they say, yeah, you're right, this is a flawed formula that ought to go away, but good luck getting, you know, Congress right. to agree because the West Coast and the East Coast probably like it the way it is. Yeah. It's the poor states in the middle of the country that suffer. 
And uh, I think it's a health equity issue at the end mm-hmm. of the day, and yeah. it's something that we need to change. It had the biggest impact on the state of Arkansas, particularly as we age and have more and more Medicare patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That and also it, drives commercial rates, too. Commercial Everybody rates, in the commercial yeah. industry wants to base off Medicare. Yeah. Well, 150% of Medicare in Arkansas is not the same thing as 150% of Medicare, uh, and even in South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're recruiting nationally. We don't get a break on the implants. When you get that new knee, yeah. we pay the same, maybe more because we're not as big than others. So our costs aren't less, and yet we're paid significantly less. Yeah. That's a. I always, I, I always say this, and, and I don't mean it in a derogatory way, but I say that the, the funding formula for Medicare um, keeps a poor state poor from yeah. a healthcare perspective. Yeah, it really does. It reinforces that those low wages. So we're we're here in Little Rock and and but Baptist has hospitals in both urban and and rural areas here in Arkansas. And there's this federal option that's on the table for some of the smaller rural hospitals, this rural emergency hospital designation which would require them to drop inpatient services which, you know, many of them have average daily census of one and two or three a day. Do you see this as an option for any of our rural hospitals? And if not, what could make it more attractive? I think it's a good option for several uh, in in Arkansas. There's going to be some of those that are kind of marginal, and a lot of it is going to be dictated on geography and access and volume. Mm -hmm. Um, But if – and we've got some of these. So I'll speak just to what I know with our Baptist Health Hospitals because we have several in rural communities. And when you when you have a hospital that may have an average census of six, mm-hmm. and they're within forty five minutes of another larger acute care hospital, you start to go, "Is this really the yeah. right thing to do? Is it the right use of resources? Does it really make sense?" What you really want in some of these communities, I believe, is a really strong emergency department. You want really strong primary care. You want places where specialists can come and do satellite clinics and see patients locally where you're not having to drive to Little Rock to see a cardiologist for a routine visit. You you want to have good ambulance services that can respond and get people where they need to go. That's critical. Uh, Maybe some observation beds. You want to be able to have skilled nursing for for patients that need to recover after an acute stay somewhere else. And you need to do that really, really well and be well-funded to do it and make it really good for that community. That's what they need. And even even when you hear employers talk about, we need a hospital for our community, and I said, well, what do you really need? You really need the things I described. And, and, And so I think there are places in Arkansas when you look at the, the numbers and you look at what they're doing today and you say, could it be better even if you took this option? Right. And, 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 and that, now we're running the numbers on, on that scenario for a couple of our hospitals now. So I can't tell you it's a great deal yet. Sure. All I know is I've, been, I've, been, I've said this for 15 years. I started in a rural hospital. Critical access model is a slow death. Yeah. Doesn't work long term. It just barely keeps you alive, keeps your doors open, and that's about it. And that's not that shouldn't be our aspiration for taking care of people and serving communities. Is keep your doors open. That's not a good option. Yeah. But that's what's happening across the state. The, the The state of Arkansas just approved sixty million dollars for hospitals to apply for that are about to close. <laughs> I mean, and you're going to see some go raise their hand and say, "We're about to close. We need some of that money." Those are hospitals barely keeping their doors open, and that's just not. That's not what we we should aspire to. Yeah. At least I, I, what I say about this is at least it's an option. Right? At least it's an option to evaluate. And, and I think it could be a good option for places. Yeah. I really do. Um, so 
I know you're constantly thinking about it, but <laughs> when you walk through the doors to go to work, what are the what are the three things that tell you that the hospital's going in the right direction? And then and then the opposite question, what are three things you don't want to hear when you walk through the door and you go, uh oh, you're stuck on this three. Give me three. Give me three. Give me three. <laughs> well, I know I can talk about one because it's probably the most it's the most fundamental thing that that you learn as you are in this business for a long time. And and there's this notion of what I call sensitivity to operations. Hmm. And it's not as objective as most people would like. It's when you walk in a place and you know it's good or you know it's not good. Oh, okay. And when I when I first started uh, at Baptist back in '05 or '06, one of my first responsibilities was the large ED in Little Rock, which sees you know fifty or sixty thousand people yeah. a year. I mean, it, and it can be a pretty interesting environment sometimes. And I learned a whole lot about operational sensitivity. It's when you walk into the ED and you know things are okay. Nobody has to say anything to you. You just know it's either it's either each of the good day or bad day, and you yeah. know when you walk in the door, and it's a sense, and it's an observation, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a vibe, and it's a you notice things, and you see things, and you see people, and you can look in people's faces and know if it's going to be a good day or bad day. So that's just being sensitive to what's happening. Uh-huh. Is this a, is this an environment where something bad could happen? Is what from a safety risk management standpoint that I think about, I can look around. And know almost instantly if this is not a safe environment. Not enough people, too many patients, too much chaos, too many bad. EDs are a great great place to get that, to grow that instinct. Um, But but that, you can see that anywhere. You can go in a nursing unit, you walk through the front lobby, and you can say, okay, do things seem okay today? You know, nobody wants to see lines of people, frustrated faces, aggravated employees. You want to see smiles. You want to see people that are comfortable. You want a calm, relaxed, healing environment. And when it's not that, you know it. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and when it's not that, you go, okay, what do we need to do today to make this different because it doesn't feel good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very subjective. It's not three things, but that's generally how you – I mean, you just yeah. know. When you don't been, have to look at the when numbers. When you've been you in can it, tell them. You, and most business owners, any business know that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really about being observant of the environment and having a sense of good or bad. Sure, sure. So we've, we've, we've only mentioned the bad word a couple of times, COVID, and it's been hard on us all. Oh, but, by the way, to, your, to the other yeah. part of your question about how do you Uh-oh. know when it's, yeah. Um, <laughs> so w- when your wife says, Craig, we need to talk. Oh, yeah. What do you immediately think? Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, it's a different version of that is, hey, boss, I need you to hear something from me first. You go, oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> or doctor fill in the blanks waiting for you in your office and he doesn't look happy. Uh oh. I mean that, Yeah. That's exactly right. That's true. <laughs> you you get those from your wife too, I'm oh, sure. <laughs> not at our no, no not at our house. Never. Um what have you learned about yourself as a leader over the last couple of years in COVID? I don't know if I learned this, but I think the it became more maybe I valued it more than I did in the past. Um, and, and I've said this before, I have this personality that kind of runs in, in a slot. Mm-hmm. And I very rarely, if ever, get outside of that slot. It's, it's kind of a calm, mm-hmm. um, never get too excited, I never get too, too, too low or too high. I just kind of, and, and that can be boring. Um, but in times of crisis, calm 
and composure is really important. Yeah, people will cling to that. And, yeah, and I, and I think that for me, um, that that's a natural attribute that I, I didn't coach it, learn it. It's just my personality served me well mm-hmm. for the past few years. When when um, had I been too excitable, you know, too panicked, that 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 spills over into everybody, mm-hmm. and then it creates an environment that's panicked, and that's not what we needed. We needed calm, measured leadership. Um, I think I was able to do that. Yeah. I'm not saying I did the best in, and, in every and situation. And policymakers called on you to, you know, provide some of that to, yeah, to the public. Yeah, I, I think I think being able to step back, be level-headed, um, composed, calm, and assessing the situation and not overreacting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've always been that way. I, I don't know that I appreciate it as much as I did over the past few years. Yeah, well, it really, it really showed, that's for sure. Um one of the things that um, we've seen in the data and that we've recently written about at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement uh, is the uptick in violence against healthcare workers uh, over the last several years and the need for additional legal protections. What are your thoughts on this and, and more generally on the resilience of your, your, your staff over the last couple of years? Let me talk about resilience first, okay. and then I'll talk, speak to the, the violence issue. I couldn't be more proud of the people that I've been able to work with um, in our organization. And I know that every leader probably should should say that and has a right to say that, mm-hmm. but I, I know I can say it about Baptist Health. Um, the professionalism, you know, when, when everybody on the outside and the media and everybody seemed like it was a crisis, our people said, hey, this is what we're here to do. It's mm-hmm. our job. And then, of course, my job as a leader is to worry about them still. Yeah. Say, well, they're really okay. What can we do for them to make this better for them? Mm-hmm. Recognizing they're going to do their job, but they're not going to do their job as well if they are coming from a place where things weren't okay or if they're not okay personally, but they're still going to show up. We want them to show up and feel good about what they're doing and be present. And and so we provided a lot of things for our employees during the course of the pandemic and still today um, that certainly is more targeted at um, mental and emotional well-being, mm-hmm. um, being able to identify when somebody's in a crisis, not at work, but in a crisis in their life. Yeah. And how can we provide support for them, making, making them aware of the things that have always been available, but we just didn't talk about it as much. We talk about it a lot more now. Yeah. But the resiliency has been tremendous. The professionalism has been inspiring and uh, I'm so grateful for for all the work that they've done and continue to do today. On the violence, the violence side, it it does appear um, that people are paying more attention to that, and, and the the result of that attention, I think, has been not so much um, a question about well, has the has is the violence toward healthcare workers at Babs on the rise? The issue and the attention has created a question that's slightly different that says. What about all the things we didn't really call violence before that we might need to pay more attention to? Yeah. Verbal abuse, you know, speaking poorly to our workers when they're trying to do their job, creating. Yeah, you know, because I, I've heard I've heard some healthcare workers say, you know, I just expect that. Yeah. Isn't that sad? <laughs> it's terrible. But yeah. So so I think for us, it was a you know, we're only getting reported a fraction of what we would normally consider inappropriate. Mm hmm mildly violent and threatening behavior. It's only if somebody gets struck do we get does right. it get reported risk management and human resources and but what about all the the times a nurse gets cursed out by a 
patient's family member because things aren't going as fast as they want, or yeah. or a, a, a patient, a nurse in a psychiatric unit that gets assaulted by a psychiatric patient. Um, you know, we have some environments in the hospitals that are can be stressful. Mm-hmm. Emergency rooms are stressful when your loved ones not doing well. That creates a lot of stress. People do things they wouldn't otherwise do. Mm-hmm. Um, psychiatric units where patients don't have the ability sometimes to control what they're doing. Those are high-risk environments, and, and, and that's where we pay a lot of attention, but we really have to pay attention in those other environments for those more subtle things and, yeah. and make sure that we don't allow that to go on or that we do intervene when that's happening maybe better than we did in the past because people expected it, which right. is horrible to, right. to, to say. Right. But we, you know, we have spent a lot more time, a lot more energy, a lot more money on security, security force, um, restricting access to our facilities. You know, if you think about before COVID, most hospitals were kind of like a community center environment. Yeah. Anybody can walk in. You had outside groups meeting in your facilities, using your space. Yeah. Come on in. Everybody's here. We had volunteers everywhere. It was great. COVID shut all that down. We started restricting visitors, limiting the access, locking doors that were normally open for, you know, 24-7. And we still to this day have, um, we spend a lot of, back to your question about current challenges uh-huh. uh, from a financial standpoint, we're still spending money on COVID-related right. things that we're still doing today that started during COVID. And for a while, we had funding to help pay for that. Well, that funding's gone. We've spent it all on doing it the past few years, but we're still doing it today. So having security people at the front door, checking people in, making sure that visitation's limited, all those things we still do as a current financial drag that we didn't have those expenses three years ago. Yeah. But we, we, we continue to, to think about how do we make the hospital a welcoming environment for patients, family members, and friends, but still have better control over the environment maybe than we had in the past where it's pretty loose. Yeah. 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 Um, on a, on a little happier note, I would say Baptist health is, uh, partnering with the Little Rock School District and has launched the Baptist Health Academy of Medical Sciences at the Southwest Magnet High School. Tell me a little bit about that partnership and what you guys hope to accomplish there. I'm so excited about this. I was excited when I saw it. It's, yeah, it's awesome. We, so I'm, I'm, I'm a, a member of the Chamber of Commerce of Central Arkansas and on the executive committee, and so I had a front row view of this all being developed. And um, I actually went to Nashville, Tennessee, to see how they had implemented this Ford. It's called the Ford NGL um, okay. learning uh, process in, in the high schools in Nashville, Tennessee. And what they saw when they implemented these programs is graduation went up, rates went up, uh, gang gang membership went down hmm. over a ten year period. And it was it was because they were creating a situation where not every kid had to go to college to be successful and come out of high school and work and contribute and be productive, and it was really trying to connect um, a, a job and opportunity uh, environment with the learning environment and kind of merge those things together so that kids when they're in tenth grade start to identify career interests. Mm-hmm. And so then they learn throughout the next two or three years of high school within the context of that career environment. So, if, for example, with the Southwest High and the, and the Baptist Health relationship, we will have the, the health sciences tracked. And if a, a kid in 10th grade says, hey, I might be interested in healthcare," they start to take coursework that mi- mixes in health sciences and actually learn hands-on some experiential experience, stuff, yeah. experiential learning, and so they're not just learning math for math's sake; they're learning math and applying it somewhere to a career. They say, "Oh, now I know why algebra is so important." 
Yeah. Right? Which is great. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I wish I'd had that. <laughs> and so it doesn't mean that, that the kids who go through this program or on this tract aren't going to college. It means that some some will, and they're going to want say, I'm going to be a doctor now, and I'm going to go through college, go to med school, and some are going to say, I want to go to nursing school. Some are going to go, you know what, I can come right out of school and go to work for Baptist or any other hospital because I have a certificate that says I'm qualified to do these clinical tasks, these technical tasks in a hospital. And they can come out certified in some cases to do certain things. They're employable when they come out of high school. Yeah. And so it's a wonderful way to both teach kids, to get them interested in a career. Uh, we've got this labor shortage challenge. Yeah, so it and, and we learned, you know, we too. said we can't just operate our Baptist Health College. We've got to go further upstream. We've yeah. got to get to kids early on and convince them that healthcare can be a great career and we can help prepare you so that when you get out of school, if you don't go to college, you can go to work. And it's a great opportunity for them. And, and for it the is. And, and just to just... plug that more, the, the Academies of Central Arkansas is what we call it, not Ford NGL. It's Academies of Central Arkansas. But all the Pulaski County schools and Laurel schools have all agreed to do it. Uh, ours was probably the first, I think it was the first announced partnership with uh, the business environment in the school. There'll be others coming. Uh, there are different industries are going to have different tracks at different schools. There'll be other tracks at Southwest besides healthcare. They just haven't, you know, had oh, business okay. partners come along yet. I think they have a um, they have a, a aviation track there. Huh. They've got the drone technology. I got to tour the school. They have some incredible wow. things at this high school. I was so impressed with all the things they're doing. So they'll have other career oriented. Um, academies at Southwest, but but ours was the first to be announced, and we're just so excited to participate. Uh, I look forward to great things out of it, that's for sure. So here's my final question. Um, If there were one piece of advice you would give to students looking to get into health services administration, what would that be? I, I just spoke to some young people yesterday and was asked kind of that question by a professor. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and and it wasn't exactly the same question, more about, you know, workforce and professionalism uh-huh. and all that. But it's, it's they're really related. The first thing I say about healthcare is understand this is a people business. We were here to serve other people. Mm-hmm. And and if if that's not really your thing, that's okay, but but boy, healthcare administration is really about serving people. And um, the other thing that that I say is it's really difficult to be in healthcare management, healthcare administration, if you don't plan on being present. So all this work from home stuff, it's great. <laughs> You're not, you can't work from home and lead people. You can't work from home and be with the people who are taking care of patients. And so yeah. we have to be physically and emotionally present with the people that do the hard work. And if we're not there supporting them, being present with them, being visible with them, we can't be effective. That's just what I believe personally. And if you're not interested in people, yeah. you're not interested in being present and serving others, this is the wrong, the wrong field for you. Yeah, yeah. Two great pieces of advice. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Troy. And, you're welcome, uh, Craig. Happy to do great it. Great to have you, and I'm going to get that song out of you one day. All right. Good deal. We'll do it. Thank you for listening to Wonks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, the views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests 
and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.